I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 37. I had to double check what number we're on. Episode 37 in which we do over and this episode comes to us courtesy of Sherry, whose idea it was in the first place. And I had a lot of fun with this, Sherry. So thank you so much. Any of the rest of you who have ideas for good questions to ask for future episodes, lay them on me. This was a lot of fun because I didn't have to do a whole lot of work this week. You all did it for me. So thank you so much for that. Um, A few updates first, a couple of announcements and my Sandy update, and then we are going to get into all of your responses to the question that I posed last week. If you had anything quilty to do over again, what was it and how would you do it differently? So our couple of announcements. First of all, the January um, Quilty Resolutions drawing ended this weekend, and the winner of the drawing is Rhonda. And I've already been in touch with Rhonda, and she sent me her address, and I promise to you, Rhonda, I will get it in the mail tomorrow. I just have to get to the post office and haven't been able to do that yet. So you will be getting some fabric goodness from me shortly. So thank you so much to everybody who participated. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I have worked on posting a spreadsheet in Google um, using Google Docs, and have sent invitations to about half of the folks who had put things on the resolution. Unfortunately, the way Google Docs works, I have to either make it completely public, which I wasn't comfortable doing, or make it private and only send invitations to certain people. So I've only made it available to those people who sent me resolutions. Um, however, there was a glitch, and Google only allowed me to send invitations to about half the people I wanted to send invitations to. So I'm still messing with that. So if you um, did send me a resolution and have not gotten an invitation to the Google spreadsheet, uh, don't sweat it yet. I am still working on that. I hope to get it fixed this week. Um, If not, I might have to come up with some other option. Uh, But the idea behind that was so that everybody could see their resolutions, go and check on them through the year, kind of update everybody how you're doing. We could all cheer each other on, etc. So I am still working on that. Um, I did also notice, as I've told you before, I have, um, I follow the blogs of any of my listeners who let me know what their blogs are. And I caught a mention in um, a blog from listener Jean, uh, the No Scrap Too Small blogspot.com. And Jean, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. That's uh, how I pronounced it for a friend of mine in high school who spelled it the same way. So that's my default position on the pronunciation of that. But in any case, um, Jean had a great blog entry about not being too hard on ourselves, and she mentioned wanting to start a not-being-so-hard-on-ourselves quilting club, to which I concur. So, Jean, if you start that club, I will be one of your first members. Okay, Sandy update. Um, I had a couple of exciting things happen this week. First of all, I went, uh, I think actually last weekend I did this, I get the uh, newsletter from Superior Threads. It's actually a very good newsletter. I mean, it's marketing, but it's educational at the same time. So I do appreciate it. And this time I actually decided to go into their website. And I found that you can buy sample threads. 
um, and it's at reduced prices. The catch is you can't choose the color. They just send you, you know, whatever color they chose, but you get good prices. And so I went through and I bought um, one spool. I think you can buy up to five. They may have different limits on them depending on what the thread is. But I just bought one spool of a lot of different kind of the basic threads. I didn't get into the decorative threads. I was more looking for what you could use for piecing and quilting and that kind of thing. And I got a bunch of different samples because I really want to go through kind of testing a bunch of different kinds of threads out. I mean, I've said before, I am an Aurifil girl. I love Aurifil thread. And Aurifil, for those of you who don't know it, is A-U-R-I-F-I-L. It's, um, I use their I think I used the 50 weight thread for piecing. It's fantastic because it's really thin, but it's really strong and it's not um, very linty. So I absolutely love using that thread for piecing. They have thicker, heavier weight threads that are good for quilting. I've used a couple of those as well. Um, But I'm open to, you know, a variety of threads. Different threads suit different purposes. So I really want to kind of test this out now. So that was a fantastic opportunity to be able to buy a bunch of different threads and not feel like I was, you know, paying an arm and a leg for them. And I got that shipment yesterday. And um, I did post a picture of what I got onto my Flickr page. I didn't share it in the Quilting for the Rest of Us group, but if you're one of my contacts or friends or whatever they're called on Flickr, you'll be able to see a picture of the colors that they sent me, some of which are really pretty cool. And fortunately, the one really big spool that I got, one of the cone spools, is a neutral color. So (laughs) that one will be a little more easy to use than some of the other ones, I think. But that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to messing around with those. More significantly, I did get some significant process done on, I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm not speaking well today. I got some significant progress made on the peace sign quilt I've been working on for my niece. I finished the applique portion of it. I think I actually finished that on Sunday, if I recall. And um, what I did was I had fused it down using Misty Fuse, which is really my favorite fusible when I can use it for the kinds of things I've been using fusing for anyway to date because it keeps it very soft, but it's a strong fuse. And so I'd fused it down with Misty Fuse, and then um, I went through and I did a blanket stitch on it using, I think it's a 40 weight black thread. And okay, here's where I have to say, um, you remember that I had complained about YLI quilting thread on a previous episode that I had a lot of problems with breakage. The black thread that I used for the blanket stitch, the one that I finally found that was the right length and the right amount of gloss or not gloss, I didn't want something really shiny but it had the feel I wanted, was a YLI thread. But it it's a very different type of thread. And so I decided to go ahead and use it, and it was absolutely fine. I didn't have a single problem with it breaking at all. It was, you know, really easy to work with. So, you know, as I said, when I was kind of complaining and whining about my previous experience with YLI, I wasn't ready to write off the entire brand just because of the experience with that one thread. I have since um, heard from another person who will remain nameless unless they choose to identify themselves that they also had problems with a YLI um, variegated thread breaking. So maybe it's just the variegated threads that are the problem or even just particular colors within them. Uh, You know, I don't know enough. I haven't done any, you know, control group testing procedures to know what it is. All I know is that was my experience and I will be hard-pressed to go back to YLI variegated again, but this other YLI that I used was really nice. Um, interestingly, it came on a wooden spool, which I haven't seen a wooden spool in for freaking ever. <laughs> I don't know where these came from. It, the store that I bought them at is, um, 
It kind of does folk art primitives. It's a gift shop with some fabric. It's not fully a quilt shop store, but they carry fabrics that I love and they carry a lot of felted wool kind of stuff. So, um, and it's nearby. So I stop in there sometimes and they don't normally carry thread, but right up at the counter, they had this little wicker basket with probably 20 spools of these wild eye wooden spool threads in there. And at first I thought, you know, gosh, are these like actually antique threads? Are these these old threads? And am I going to run into problems because they're dried out and brittle? Um, But the price wasn't bad. I think I paid somewhere in the neighborhood of $3 a spool. And I got two spools because I am really bad at judging how much thread I'm going to need. And many times I've ended up short. And so now I tend to always overbuy. (laughs) So I I have a lot of thread now that I probably will never use. Uh, But in any case, I bought two spools of it and it wasn't at all brittle. It worked beautifully. So I really don't know why this is on wooden spools, but it's kind of cool. I kind of like it. So anyway, I did get the... um, blanket stitching done on that and it went really well although I did realize after I did the straight bars in the middle the the part that forms that inner peace sign I did those first because I knew those would be you know they're straight they're easy but what I discovered after doing the first one is I needed to do it the reverse of what I was doing because I was sewing kind of against the seams and so they were kind of bunching up as I went and I had problems keeping it kind of Um, on target. So I flipped it around and sewed it going the opposite direction so that now I was sewing with the theme. So it worked much more smoothly and that went very, very well. Um, So I did the same thing when I was doing the outer ring is I just made sure I was flipping it around. So I was sewing it. I was doing the blanket stitch in the direction of the seam. So I was going over the top of the seams rather than up and against the seams. And it worked very well. It's, you know, it's a little bit wonky, but it's okay. You know, it's going to be a fun kid's quilt. And I think actually the wonkiness works. As I keep saying, it's not a mistake. It's a design decision. So that went really well. The other thing I tried, I had read in an article recently somewhere. Now I don't remember where I had seen this, but somebody was advising that you use a walking foot when you do machine applique because the walking foot keeps both layers of fabric stable more stable than a regular presser foot would and I'd never tried that before and you know I've mentioned before my Janome has an AccuFeed foot which is basically a walking foot Um, and it has what makes it a walking foot is it actually has feed dogs on the foot on top as well as the feed dogs beneath so that they're both feeding those layers of fabric evenly through at the same time. To tell the truth you know in theory yeah that should make the applique more steady. I don't know in practice if it really did. Now, maybe this is because my applique wasn't kind of the normal applique. You know, normally when you're appliquing pieces down, it's a shaped piece that's not seamed. You know, there's no seams that you're dealing with. In my case, it was all pieced. You know, I had seams all over the place. Um, So that might have been what was causing more of the issues, but it, it did not I don't think it really made a huge difference to me whether I was using that walking foot or not. I think I probably would have had um, the same results either way. So in my instance, I don't know if that was helpful, but it's something I had just learned. I had not heard that before, so I'm passing it on to you. If you're doing machine applique, you may want to consider, if you've not done this before, using a walking foot or using your AccuFeed foot um, to try to keep the applique and the fabric more steadily together as you're doing them. See how that works for you. Okay, so where I'm at on that project now is that um, I decided I had to order more of the border fabric 
and had to pay for it to um, get shipped to me as quickly as possible because I need to get this done very fast. And so um, I had to order it because the border fabric is directional. It's got a peace sign print on it and the peace signs all head in one direction. So it would look screwy if I cut the border pieces the way I normally did. You know, some of them wouldn't be going straight. And I, I didn't want that effect. I kind of wanted the peace signs all to be going in the same direction. And of course, I didn't measure or do any math. I just ordered another yard. So <laughs> I think I think I'll have enough. Um, it's not a very big wall hanging, so I should have plenty and I'll probably have some left over. And I always tell myself, oh, well, then I'll make her a matching pillowcase and then I never get it made. So I'll probably have that fabric on my wall for a long, long time to come or on my shelf. Um, but anyway, that meant that I had a little bit of a break while I was waiting for that fabric to get to me to work on another project. So I started my stash mystery challenge project actually i had decided a few weeks ago what i was going to do for this and it was just a matter of getting it started and what i'm working on is there's a pattern in a book that i've been wanting to do for my mother-in-law for years and this finally gave me the motivation to get it started the book is jelly roll quilts and it's by pam and nikki lintot i think is how you pronounce it um it's actually published in England. So the measurements are all in metric, but they do provide the conversion to inches, um, not yards and inches, just straight up inches. So I pulled out my calculator to make sure I was making, you know, doing my own math correctly. But it's a beautiful pattern. It's called Flora Bouquet. And you basically, it's made with a jelly roll and you strip, you piece strips together so that they end up looking like a flower in the block. And then that's all on a white background. And it's just a very happy, springy sort of quilt. And it's one of these that could either look more modern or more 30s, depending on what kind of fabric you use. And um, so I've just, you know, my mother-in-law is going to love this, I think, if I do it well. Now, she'll love it regardless. Um, <laughs> we, our running joke in our family is our goal is always to make grandma cry because she she can tear up over joy. And um, so we... <laughs> you know, every family holiday, it's like, okay, who can make grandma cry this year? Uh, so anyway... I don't know. I think I'm just going to probably send it out to have it quilted with a, an all-over-a-pantograph quilt. So my responsibility is really just getting this thing pieced. And um, her birthday is in early April, so I have a shot at having it done in time uh, to get to her for her birthday, which would be very nice. And um, I have a bunch of jelly rolls that I had three or four myself, and then I inherited it a bunch more from Mom. And so I went through them all, and I had the perfect one for this quilt. It's, um, I think I got this one from mom. It's an April Cornell design. It's nature's chorus. It's probably two or three years old. I went online to see if I could find any of the other fabrics just to see whether I could find something from the same line for the backing and binding. And I couldn't find it listed, uh, which was not a big deal. Cause I don't mind, you know, going off, <laughs> going off coordinate, going offline, whatever you would call it, uh, to get matching or coordinating fabrics. But, um, in any case, I didn't find it listed anywhere anymore, so I'm not sure it's still available, but it's a really sweet um, print. It's a flower print, as you would think. Um, lots of light blues and kind of grass greens and um, salmons and pinks. It's just very, very pretty. I love this set, and I think it's going to make up very, very cute. I'm using the, the stash challenges, not only the jelly roll, which I did the math 
and a jelly roll is about two and three quarters yards worth of fabric. I didn't know that it was quite that much, um, but that's not insignificant. And then it requires, um, I think it was almost four yards total background, and I'm doing them all in whites, and I had a bunch of white two and a half strips from a um, strip exchange in my guild. So I used all of those, and that was about a yard and some worth of strips. And then, because uh, you have to cut, you cut the yardage down into strips anyway. So starting with strips just meant I had to do that much less cutting. And then I pulled enough other fabrics of white tone-on-tones from my stash to make up almost the rest. I did end up having to make a quick run out to my local quilt shop which is only about five minutes away, for a half yard of fabric. And I always have to uh, laugh at the quilter's math, where you have to buy half a yard of fabric so you can use eight from your stash. You know, isn't that kind of funny to think that way? But in any case, I did buy my fabric so I could use my fabric. Uh, that's some sort of a cosmic rule, I guess. And, and this was the night that the big storm was heading in, that, you know, everybody got nailed all over the country. And we were... Um, supposed to get a little over a foot, which actually for us, not that big a deal. So it all depends. If it falls all at once, it's a problem. If it falls over a course of several hours, you know, our snowplows keep up with it. So I wasn't overly worried. But after work, I decided to scoot out really fast and go down to the local quilt shop and get my half yard of fabric so that if I did get snowed in the next day, you know, I'd, I'd have enough fabric. And I was the only customer in the store when I got there, the two women who were working that night are, are guild buddies of mine, and they were excited to see me because apparently they hadn't seen any other customers for about five hours or something like that. Um, everyone was already hunkering down for the storm, and I, I laughed, you know, that most people run to a grocery store to stock up on food before a storm, but we quilters hightail it to the fabric shop. We have our priorities. Uh, in any case, got my fabric all set up and had a couple of nights um, where I didn't have anything else going on. And my husband was out of town, and my daughter was happy enough just sitting up in the computer room with me on her computer. Uh, so I was able to get all the cutting done for that quilt, for my mother-in-law's quilt. It's all ready to, all I have to do is start piecing now. It was um, one of the things I made sure I was really careful about this time. I've done some strip quilts, or uh, two and a half inch strip quilts before, sometimes with jelly rolls, and then sometimes with strips I've cut. And I'm generally a little bit careless about, or I've been in the past, about how often I stop to retrue my fabric. When you're cutting strips, as you probably know, you have to keep them pretty well true, or that long strip will end up with kind of a rainbow shape to it, or you'll have a little dent in the center where the fold is. And um, I remember on Patrick's Schoolhouse, on the DVD on precision, precision piecing, she actually said something about if you're cutting strips of such and such a width, you should always stop so many times. She had some sort of kind of general formula for how often you needed to stop and retrue up your fabric based on how wide a strip you were cutting. And I don't remember what that was, but I did know I needed to do it more often than I usually do. And so this time, cutting so many strips at once, I did stop and make sure that every, I think I did it probably every five or six strips, um, I would stop and, and true it up again. And that really worked. I don't think I had any strips that didn't look like they were what they needed to be. So again, that's my little piece of advice is when you're cutting your strips, whatever width they are, make sure you stop every few strips and just line up your fabric again, because it does get a little bit off. Um, and then, of course, the other thing, you know, learn from my mistakes. Don't do what I do. Do what I tell you not to, or do what I tell you that I messed up and don't do it that way yourself. Um, 
when I was cutting my jelly roll strips, the floral pieces, um, I missed, completely missed one set. I was supposed to cut one two and a half inch square, one two and a half by four inch, sorry, four and a half inch rectangle. And then I was supposed to cut two six and a half inch rectangles in a row, and then an eight and a half, and then I think the last one was a 14 inch, because that gets used in the border. Well, I only cut one six and a half inch. I didn't even see that I was supposed to cut two. And so I was whipping through doing, you know, this is great. This is fast. I've got a wonderful ruler that I love. Um, It's a creative grids ruler. So it's got the little um, frosted sort of textury thing on the backside of it. I love those rulers. And they've got the half inch. So it's easy to just keep moving them further and further down the strip. So it was going very well. Um, Everything looked square and true. And I was patting myself on the back. And then when I was cleaning up at the end, when I thought I'd finished cutting and I realized, dang it, (laughs) I had completely missed an entire set of six and a half inch square rectangles. Well, even at that, I thought, oh, that's not a big deal. You know, I've still got fabric left over from those strips. I'd kind of wondered how I ended up with so much fabric left over. Hadn't rung a bell. So I pulled that out and I figured I would just trim them up to size. Well, darn it if some of them weren't long enough. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know whether I cut off more on some of them as I was squaring up the first end, you know, before you start cutting, or whether some of them were just shorter. You know, jelly rolls, charm packs, they're supposed to be all exactly even. They're not always all exactly perfect. So you kind of got to check that yourself. Uh, But in any case, I had, when I finished sorting them out, I had five pieces that were too, far too short, not even fudgeable short, but just far too short. So I decided ultimately what I would do is replace those five strips, which to me really meant going through all of the pieces I'd cut and pulling all of the pieces that had been cut from those five strips and just replacing those five strips altogether. I didn't want to just replace five pieces in the quilt because I felt like those five pieces would always stand out to me, you know, like a blinking red light (laughs) or something. Here's the mistake. Here's the mistake. So, um, I went through my own stash of two and a half inch strips, which again, because of strip exchanges, et cetera, I've got a pretty decent stash of strips. And that was the second night then that I was working on this. And I did find five that I was able to swap out. And there's a little bit of a side story there too, but you can go to my blog and read all about that. Um, But I found five pieces. So I went through, cut those pieces, um, took the other five pieces out. And so now that's all done and I'm ready to go. And then this afternoon, I had to pick my husband up from the airport and take him over to work as we've had this big car swap going on all week with my nephew, et cetera, et cetera. And so I picked my husband up, took him over to his office, and his office is right down the road from one of my other favorite quilt shops. Um, it's bigger than the one that's right down the street from me, but it's also, you know, a half hour drive. So it's not one I get too often, but I had, um, I grabbed some of the pieces from my mother-in-law's quilt and brought it over with me, and I found some beautiful backing fabric and binding fabric. So that thing is ready to go. All I need is to sit and piece it, which will take me a while. It's got a lot of pieces to it. Um, But then yesterday afternoon, I got the border fabric for my niece's quilt. So now I've got to put my mother-in-law's quilt away and get back to working on my niece's quilt. And that's going to be my primary emphasis this weekend. So that's my Sandy update. And wow, I'm actually at 30 minutes already. So I may have to split the do-overs into two episodes because I got a lot. (laughs) So what I'm going to do is um, we're going to start with reading the, um, the ones that went to Big Tent. If you're not a member of the Big Tent Quiltcast Supergroup and then of the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup, 
you might want to do that. It's a fun place to um, have a lot of conversation, ask questions, get suggestions and ideas. You can post photos of your projects, etc. It also links with Flickr. So if you already have a Flickr album, it's easy enough to pull your Flickr album into Big Tent too. Um, and a lot of the podcasters, pretty much all the ones that I'm aware of, do have subgroups as well. So you can join several of them at once. So what were your do-overs? If you remember, I read Sherry's last week. So we're going to start right in with um, Colleen said, My do-over, when we finished our basement and planned out the dimensions of my sewing room, I would have made it bigger. Probably related to the previous one, I would have not built up my stash so much. I'm really not great at shopping for my stash or fudging when I don't have enough of one fabric. I should just buy for the project. And then she says if she had done the second do-over, she might not have needed the first do-over. In other words, um, you if you don't have as much stash, you may not need quite as much space. And she also says, I wouldn't have been so afraid to try things. It probably took me five years just to try quilting because I thought I could never pick out fabrics that t- looked good together. I've been afraid to do curved piecing till I took a class. It's taken me months sometimes to get up the courage to start quilting the finished top. And she says, I'm getting better at the fear part. I just remember Sandy saying, get over yourself. Something we all need to remind ourselves of. Okay, Flower Skunk says, I have an art quilt I plan to do over. I loved the first one, but other folks didn't quite get it, and I think it could be done better. I plan to remake the theme of the art quilt, but with a little more design, creativity, and better handwork and quilting than my first attempt. It was my first attempt at an art quilt after all. All right, and Catherine says, I would be more patient and get to know my tools and materials better. I started sewing in my teens, but have never been hugely successful because I was too impatient and never took the opportunity to really get to know my machine. One of the reasons I only started quilting a month ago, despite wanting to try it for ages, was the fear of yet another failure. But my first quilt has taught me the benefits of being patient, and this weekend I finally sat down and explored all the different features my old sewing machine has to offer. A lot more than I thought. And guess what? It isn't that faulty either. I should have read that manual before diving in right away. Thank you, Catherine. And I've heard that theme through that you're going to detect some themes as you hear all of these responses. I certainly picked up on some. Okay, Parker Quilter says... I would have asked a lot more questions of my dad before he passed away about the quilts that were passed down from his family. He was very interested in genealogy and wrote his own memoirs for the family, but never talked about who had made the quilts and when. I didn't start quilting or learn about the importance of documentation until after he passed away. I've done my own research and have some hunches, but I'd love to have a conversation with him about the quilts. And Parker Quilter, I feel you. If you've heard my episode about my own antique quilts that I inherited from my mom, um, if I had even known those existed, I really wish I could have talked to my mom about them too before she passed away. Janet Nina, Janet's Nina, says, My quilting do-over is the first quilt that I made through a beginner's quilting class. The quilt is a triple rail throw. The instructor of the class told each of the attendees to choose three fabrics, a dark, medium, and light fabric. My selections are definitely dark, medium, and light. I think there should have been conversation about color value, or perhaps if the ladies in the fabric section of the store would have suggested fabrics to go with any of the three fabrics that I had selected to make the quilt more interesting. I do like the fabric in the quilt, but now if I were to take the class, I would have chosen fabric based on color value and not just if the color was a dark, medium, or light. 
So definitely, sometimes we look at our early quilts and think about how we would do them over. I think that's another theme. Punk Rock Chick says, My quilty do-over is still in my UFO pile. Had an idea for a wonky sort of liberated quilt to use up from some leftover pieces of fabric from another project. I wanted it to be very graphic, and the only colors were black, white, and pink bold prints. Fought with it over and over again, and finally decided that I just didn't have enough experience quilting to create my vision. It's one of those projects that I hope to work on again this year. Sigh, too many unfinished projects. Another regret. My other regret is not doing more sewing when I was a teen. My granny was an expert at laying out her fabrics and making precision cuts. I could really use that help now that I'm trying to learn different quilting techniques. So thank you, Punk Rock Chip. Definitely share some of those do-over wishes with you as well. Scientific Quilter, who, if you've not heard her podcast, there is also another wonderful podcast called The Scientific Quilter, says, I haven't even finished my piece apron from two years ago and I'm about 85% ready to cut it up for projects for something else. Just need to find the 15% courage to do so. A redo on this idea will be very helpful to moving forward and creating an apron that I really like. I was also told that the yellow wall hanging that I'm making is pretty ugly, but I'm not doing it over. I'm going to finish it and put it on the wall. Then in half a year, when or if I agree that it's ugly, then I'll take it down and put up something new. Sometimes you have to go backwards in order to go forwards, and sometimes you just have to, to, quote, make that ugly thing, unquote. Otherwise, it'll sit in your closet half-finished for two years. Or, scientific quilter, 15 years. (laughs) Okay, Marianne G. says, My do-over would be to not have so many UFOs. Not that I would not have done those projects, but I regret letting them sit so long before finishing. Most of them languished while I developed a skill I thought I needed, or at least the courage. In retrospect, they would have turned out just fine had I completed them in a more timely manner and I could have enjoyed them rather than letting them sit unseen in a closet. Again, do you hear the theme of fear stopping us from finishing things or starting things? That was, uh, I kept hearing that over and over and over again. So thank you, Marianne. Beekeeper says, my do-over is less about projects and more about attitude. I need to just do it and stop thinking I can't do something. The curved piecing comes to mind, as well as sewing zippers and things. If I screw it up, so what? I'll try again. Thank you, beekeeper, again. (laughs) That fear, that was a big theme. Okay, so that was all the messages left in Big Tent. I guess this is not going, it's not taking me as long as I thought it would. Um, Carol, these are now, I'm now moving into the comments that were left on the show notes to last week's episode. Carol said lots of very nice things about my, <laughs> okay, Carol started out saying lots of nice things about my podcast. And then she says, okay, her do-over. I spent a lot of money on a top-of-the-line million different stitches machine, and I use about four of them. And a leg lift, which I thought I had to have, never use it. Automatic threader, which isn't that great, never use it. I would buy a simpler, cheaper machine and spend the money I saved on, you guessed it, fabric. The other do-over regarding fabric is to buy more lights. I'm drawn to dark colors and therefore have lots of darks, but as you know, you need lights for contrast and actually more of the lights than darks for most quilts. So thank you, Carol. And let's see, now this one is Pam from Hip to Be a Square, another podcaster. Love it. 
Pam says, I have two do-overs, both oddly enough related to my grandmother who just passed away. And Pam, you do have our condolences. The first is that when the sewing machine she bought me for high school graduation died three years ago, I burned the motor out from sewing so much, I would have gone ahead and bought a nice higher quality machine instead of a second machine that turned out to be a worse quality than the one she got me 15 years prior. I'm very happy that I now have my Janome 6600. And Pam, I inherited a Janome 6600 from my mother. Love it. It's a nice, nice machine. The second, we're back to now Pam's words, the second is that I would have used some different custom free motion quilting, quilting, (laughs) sorry, abbreviations, FMQ stands for free motion quilting, on the red-white quilt that I have hanging up in her honor. When I made it two years ago, I wasn't as confident in my free motion quilting skills, so I just did an all-over large-scale stipple pattern rather than some custom quilting within the twelve blocks, as the pattern and fabric clearly screams for. Maybe one day I'll rip out the stipple and do it over, you know, in my free time. So thank you very much, Pam. And there you had actually two almost competing do-overs, one person who would have bought a lesser machine and another person who wished she had bought a better machine. Uh, I think the moral of that story is really know what it is you actually want to be able to do and what you need in a machine. Everybody will tell you you need, you know, all sorts of stuff. You have to decide what you actually want. Okay, and the next do-over is from Noni. And remember, Noni's got her own podcast now, so you should be checking it out, Noni's Quilting Dreams. But Noni responded, the biggest do-over I would do is I would have started quilting sooner. If I had more of an interest of my own, maybe my daughter and I would not have been at loggerheads so much when she was growing up. Maybe I would have some maybe I would have some quilts to show for time that has passed. I only started quilting in 2005. I've read nonstop about quilting since my first class. I try everything, some I stick to, some I do not. I average about 8 classes a year at my local quilt shop. Many quilts started, but few completed. I do not have a lot of quilts done. And she says she makes mostly huge quilts. And this is part two of my do-over. I wish I was less influenced by the quilt teacher's tastes and preferences when I took the classes. I blindly followed their color choices, help, and styles while learning the techniques and skills. I now know what I like, but maybe that's part of the learning and growing process. Part three... I wish I had not grown such a large stash. Much of what there is is not my taste or my daughter's taste. I will be making a lot of scrappy quilts in the future. The plus is I rarely bought ugly fabric, so I will find a place for it in a quilt. Thank you very much, Noni. All right, Jackie said her do-over. I would not have waited until my 50s or when the kids were grown to take the time to take care of me as I have discovered that quilting is what I was meant to do. While I did make a few quilts in my early adult years with a special one every so often, I wished I had found the time and money to do it all along. So thank you very much for that, Jackie. In other words, that's definitely something to um, folks who are in earlier stages of their life to not to worry about taking that time and spending a little money on fabric and um, some of the equipment you're going to need and taking that time to do something for yourself if that will make you a happier person. Okay, Sherry. Oh, this is the Sherry who had sent me the original do-over. She has one more do-over that she has thought of. If one has to buy fabric for stashing, 
I'm innocent. No, really, I am. Do not buy so many dang medium fabrics. My do-over would be to have more high-contrasting fabrics in my stash. And she says her original comment had said she wouldn't buy as many prints. What she's clarifying now is that she wouldn't buy so many novelty prints. Most novelty prints do not lend themselves to the type of quilting that Sherry tends to do. Um, And she goes on to say tiny prints work, but medium to large prints are harder to deal with. Let's see, is that? Oh, nope, I got one more. Victoria. Oh, that's right. I, I saved this one for last because this one is just really, really sweet. Victoria said, my do-over would be, would to, my do-over would be to have spent more afternoons quilting with my mom. We did spend a lot of time shopping for quilt fabric, but not enough just stitching and sitting, sitting and stitching. A lot of great conversation can take place with someone, needle and thread, and a cup of tea. I loved that, Victoria, not the least of which is because I feel the same way. Um, Mom and I did a lot of shop hops together, but we rarely spent time just sitting and sewing together. Well, all right, we spent a lot of time with me taking my problems to her and her showing me how to fix them, but not just mutually working on, you know, one another's uh, projects. So those were everybody's do-overs. You know, I I spent a lot of time as I was reading everybody else's do-overs this week trying to figure out what my own do-over would be. And I agreed with, you know, a lot of you, like I said, Victoria, I certainly would love to have the time now to sit and and have, you know, go on quilting retreats with my mom or just go to a quilting retreat out at her house together. Um, I also do wish I had been able to ask her more about those antique quilts and find out where they had all come from, like a couple of you had said. But I think personally, in terms of my own quilting do-over, mine is very much along the lines of the fear. You know, a lot of you mentioned that you wouldn't have let your, you wish you hadn't let your fear keep you back. And I find the same thing. You know, all of my UFOs were UFOs because I was afraid to ruin them with my bad machine quilting skills. And you know what, what good is it doing sitting on the shelf? It might as well just be ruined because if it's ruined, at least you're using it. You know, at least it's done and it's out there and it's somewhere, even if it's just a dog bed. Um, (laughs) But in any case, you know, I've gotten a lot better about that. I've gotten a lot more intrepid, I guess, in my quilting. I still wish I could trust my creativity a little bit more um, and not worry so much. You know, I have to kind of get over myself. I, I would love to do more art quilting. I also would love to do more traditional quilting. I'd love to do more contemporary quilting. I, I love it all. There's, I haven't, I've never met a quilt I didn't like, basically. Um, But I think the fear is kind of a big issue for a lot of us. You know, we're all afraid we're going to mess something up. I've talked before about you don't want to cut into that pretty fabric because you're afraid you're going to mess up the cut. Well, the fabric's not doing anybody any good sitting on your shelf. So when I read everyone's do-overs, the theme of fear and not wanting to stop start something because you were afraid you were going to mess it up really speaks to me. And I really think we all just need to get over ourselves (laughs) let's let's all make our that promise to each other we're all just going to get over ourselves in 2011 and and we're going to try whatever we decide to try and if we mess it up so what it's just fabric so okay i think that's it that's the uh, quilty do-over episode so thank you so much everybody for playing along that was a lot of fun and again if some of you have ideas of questions you'd like to ask for future episodes um that would be great. I had a lot of fun with this. So um, for 
Next week, I haven't decided what next week's episode is going to be yet. I do want to say thank you to another couple of people who have said they'd be happy to be panelists for an applique conversation. So I'm going to start working on that, um, on scheduling that um, conference call with the folks who have contacted me. You still have time if you would still like to be not an expert, because remember, um, we don't think of ourselves as experts or non-experts here. We are people with experience and not as much experience. So if you are experienced in something of applique, whether it be hand applique or machine applique or any method or technique thereof, and would like to be a panelist, um, please go ahead and feel free to contact me. Otherwise, if you have questions about applique that you would like to ask, go ahead and start shooting them to me and I will compile them and we will ask our panelists. Um, you can ask about, again, hand applique, machine applique, any technique thereof. You can ask about tools and notions and techniques and resources. Anything that you have wondered about applique, feel free to ask. All right. Um, what else do I have to announce? The Stash Mystery Challenge. Some of you have started sending in pictures already. You are you are hard at work. A couple of people have already completed their uh, Stash Mystery Resolution. Uh, Stash Mystery Challenge. <laughs> Sorry. It was getting my challenges mixed up there. And um, have sent me pictures, and that's great. I am keeping track of y'all. And I believe I had said the deadline was something like March 9th. 9th but you'll want to double-check my... Uh, show notes for this ep or the show notes page for the actual date. It's all on the page that starts with the tab. You click on the tab at the top, um, Stash Mystery Challenge, and then that has all the deadlines and all the information about what qualifies, etc. And um, why do I feel like I had something else to announce? I don't know. This has been a really befuddled week. I had a massive set of deadlines this week at work working my tail off and kind of sick at the same time. I still have the tail end of my son's cold. And with the storm going through and, you know, temperatures going haywire, my sinuses have been in an uproar. So I've been a bit befuddled, kerfluxed, <laughs> whatever the words are this week. Um, and, you know, I, I've got moments of concentration and then I have moments where everything just goes to pot. So apparently I'm in one of those moments where everything goes to pot. So I think as soon as I'm done recording this and posting it, I'm probably going to go curl up with my Kindle in a flannel quilt or something for an hour and try to regroup. So thank you for being patient with me and all my stumbles and not actually being able to read <laughs> things like that. Um, hopefully it'll be better next week. So remember, you can contact me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, and that's Sandy with a Y and quilts with a Z, and that's my Twitter name as well, Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. I do have a quilting blog separate from the show notes of this episode. We also have a Flickr Quilting for the Rest of Us group. We have a Quilting for the Rest of Us Facebook page. There is a free newsletter. Um, that you can subscribe to. And of course, you can join the Quiltcast supergroup and from there join the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup in Big Tent. And all of that can be found one-stop shopping, as it were, at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. So hopefully this weekend will bring some wonderful quilty goodness your way. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 